Welcome, my name is Clayton Bowers. I'm Eric Bogner, and this is podcast number four of four in our cybersecurity series that we're doing with the Iowa Watch. So if you're just now listening, and this is your first one, so far we have done a couple segments where we've talked to people in the insurance industry, in the agricultural agricultural industry, and then also just kind of getting the take on what the average day citizen thinks about cybersecurity. So in this one, we're going to be talking to another classmate that we have been working on this project with to see what kind of information he has been learning. So we brought in Alex Kirkpatrick, and this is just kind of a recap podcast to sum together everything we've learned so far with our project. Awesome. So how are you doing tonight, Alex? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Yes, happy to have you. So what have you learned, I guess, is like one of the biggest takeaways from this project? I think one of the most interesting aspects from this project is the fact that law enforcement agencies are having a really hard time trying to catch up to online criminals because of the sophisticated technology. And I talked to one lawmaker who said that at the, at this current pace, legislation cannot keep up with the technology. This is coming from Zach Nunn. He's a Republican from Altoona, and he actually served under the Obama administration as um, a former director of cybersecurity on the National Security Council, and he was a former national counterintelligence officer. So his background in cybersecurity kind of leaned him to push this legislation in the state house. Um, the last that we've seen comes from Executive Order 87, which is a statewide measure saying that um, there are going to be initiatives put in place for the state to protect its citizens should there be a, a massive data breach. I think that was enacted um, in 2016. Fast forward to now, what we see is that obviously it's still on the rise. It cost about $445 million globally. Um, that includes people's um, information being stolen from these entities, whether it be foreign, whether it be local. It's hard to pinpoint. And what we find is that it's hard for, especially local law enforcement, to capture these criminals just because they're not trained in that aspect. They're not trained in tackling online crime. They know how to catch a thief should it be in person because they can track that down. They can have evidence um, and file a warrant to get that um, person. But when it comes to online criminals, when it comes to people um, stealing your identity online, it's harder to trace that, especially if it's coming from foreign entities, which usually is the case, as we've seen with the Yahoo data breach, in which um, 500 million users' accounts information was stolen from what we've seen from Russian hackers. And so a lot of people actually don't, um, in terms of foreign jurisdictions, they likely won't prosecute those online criminals because they don't really care if somebody from America or grandma from Altoona or, or wherever they're from, they don't care about Americans' money getting stolen. So let me ask you this. What can law enforcement do? At this point, they can treat it as if um, it were just like a regular crime in terms of the physical world. So that's where a large problem happens is meshing 
and distinguishing whether it's a virtual crime or whether it's a physical crime. And so far, I talked to um, a Des Moines police lieutenant who told me that so far, if they can distinguish the amount um, that was stolen, the um, I guess the value of what was stolen, then they can attach, you know, a misdemeanor on it. Um, it depends on how much. Um, usually, they can. I think it's like. Let me look real quick. I think it's um, over ten thousand dollars. Then it'd be a class C felony, which would be punishable by up to ten years and a fine of up to ten thousand dollars. If it's lesser than that, then it's going to be a misdemeanor, which would be um, punishment of 30 days to two years um, and a fine of $65 to $6,250. So it really depends on A, if they have the evidence to charge them, and then B, if they can physically capture them and put them in jail. And you said the majority of the people that are doing these kind of uh, cyber hacks are out of the country? From what I understand from the cybersecurity experts that I have talked to, the large breaches, the data breaches from large companies do come from foreign entities, from foreign countries. Okay. So what would you say the most interesting thing you learned was? I think, like I said um, at the top of the podcast, I think the most interesting thing is that there are loopholes for these hackers to go through because there isn't a lot of legislation that's pinpointing this relatively new crime. Twenty years ago, I don't think this would have been as much of a prevalent problem as it is today. Like I said, with Executive Order 87, that was just enacted last year because they recognized that cybersecurity is an up-and-coming issue and how to tackle the problem and how to prevent the, the problem as well. And that's what a lot of people are, are telling me is that um, preventive measures like you know, using a secure password or, or using um, software on your computer that, that prevents viruses, um, just simple things like that wasn't being discussed 20 years ago. And nowadays, um, you know, people are buying this kind of software to prevent those kinds of things happening because it's becoming more and more of a problem. But I think that in terms of prevention, a lot of people don't realize that it can happen to anybody. I talked to Chris Scott, like I said, he's a Des Moines police lieutenant, and he was actually a victim of identity theft as well. Now what happened with his case, that was, oh, about 17 years ago, but even then, um, he understood that it's really frustrating when you lose your identity. It's really frustrating when someone uses your um, information or whatever it may be and steals something that's not yours. I mean, that's just a violation of your privacy. So you said that uh, legislation can't keep up with the amount of security hacks that are happening. So is there essentially just no solution to this issue right now then? Or what? Uh, where's the light at the end of the tunnel here? So that's the problem that we kind of ran into um, in developing this story and finding out what is the thing that people should know. Ultimately, it'd be nice to have a hard, fast truth as to how we can curb this threat from rising. Unfortunately, there is no um, clear-cut solution as to how um, we can 
prosecute these online criminals, these online identity thieves. Um, what we can say is that um, that uh, they'll treat it with more um, care. They'll treat it with more, um, I guess, what I'm trying to say is uh, law enforcement will have like special units. I know I, I was referred to um, somebody in the Des Moines Police Department, um, but it's just such a specialized, I guess, part of crime that a lot of people don't have education for. Um, I did talk to a professor at ISU who rolled out kind of this statewide plan, this education plan, um, and I guess that would be the best prevention is just knowledge. And I know that's very vague and I know that's very um, wide in that you should be knowledgeable of the situation, but it's basically just a program that would teach students and would teach anybody using a computer about computer literacy. Um, and the more that people know, I think the more they can uh, best secure them from being vulnerable to these attacks. Cool. A lot of what we had heard on prevention of attacks was keeping your Wi-Fi uh, modem up to date and keeping the protection on there up to date with firewalls and whatnot keeping a password on your Wi-Fi because the free Wi-Fi can encourage hackers to go after your information because it's easier. And then we heard that you should have longer passwords, change them frequently, and not keep them on your phone or your computer or write them down, which I think is kind of difficult. It's just hard to remember all those passwords, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say the most striking thing that... uh I learned is that hacking can be used for I mean it's not a simple thing when someone takes someone's identity that's a very serious thing but with the first person we talked to Kevin Anderson from Farm Bureau um, he brought up several examples on how like there's countries that are trying to breach mass amounts of data so that they can model their own like policies after countries that are doing it successfully um, so with, like, statewide level, do you see an issue with that? Like, could someone come into Iowa and take our mass data and use that? And do you consider that to be as big of an issue as, I guess, personal identity theft? I think it's definitely possible, um, as we've seen with, um, just speaking with, people who work in IT or, or anybody who manages mass data systems, anything's possible. Um, whether or not it's an interest for them, I'm not sure. Um, even uh, with IT people here at Simpson, um, we see that there are little phishing problems as well with our emails. Um, in terms of a statewide level, that's why they put Executive Order 87 in place. It's a cybersecurity measure, just in case that it does happen. Um, it details uh, what to do in case of this emergency or how the state would respond. Um, but then there are also like measures within uh, companies as well, large companies. And Iowa law states that should a company or should any entity that owns licensed computerized data um, 
in which is used for professional or vocational uses, then they must publicly inform the um, Attorney General's office within five business days um, of that happening, if it affects more than 500 people. Um, I, I know in other states, like in Florida, they have to publicly inform the media within 30 days. Um, and so th those could be not necessarily preventative measures because it's happening after the fact, but it's definitely a, um, maybe something that helps victims know if they've been breached because sometimes people don't check their bank accounts for, for a while. It just lets potential victims know that they have been breached. I know for the Yahoo instance, it took a couple months, perhaps even years, for them to know whether or not they were breached because it was reported in December 2016, but it happened three years prior. And so knowing that um, something that big of a company can be breached, I think it can happen anywhere. Okay, so I guess the last question that I have um, is after you've done all this extensive research and talked to all these people, are you optimistic personally about the future of cybersecurity, or you said there's no real solution? So, what's your stance on it at this point? I think the whole reason that we're doing this article is just to let people know that it is a rising problem. It is something that we should be cognizant of going into the future as people flock to mobile and desktop devices. I don't think it's the end of the world, though. Um, from what I understand, uh, there will still be legislative efforts to combat the problem. Um, we still have yet to see a lot of legislation being passed to make it a top priority. I know they said that um, when they rolled out Executive Order 87, but when looking at the legislation um, during the session, it really isn't a top priority from my understanding. Um, I do think that going in, into the future, should there be more massive data breaches, um, it will definitely come to the forefront. But that's another problem that we kind of saw as well, is that the media have only been reporting on these mass data breaches when it affects millions and millions of people. However, the small instances in where, you know, mother from Bond rant or whatever. Um, they only get what thirteen hundred dollars stolen from their account. That's not enough for a media report to be put out because it's just thirteen hundred dollars. But when you amount that up and you add it all together, then it becomes a big problem. And that's what I think this article really addresses: is the fact that it happens a lot. It happens frequently, um, but I don't think. Um, I don't think, uh, unless we don't address it, then it's not going to be something that's going to get fixed. Okay, cool. I think that's all. Thank you, Alex. Thank it's you. been a pleasure having you on. This, as we said before, is the fourth of our four podcasts, so this is the end. Hopefully, you've learned something along this journey we've taken. I know Clayton and I both have. So, I'm Eric Bogner. And I'm Clayton Bowers.
And this is Iowa Watch.